प्रॉब्लम To rulers and gov- governors, he's a thorn in their side. To logicians, he's a fool. To economists, he's a hopeless ignoramus. To materialists, he's a dreamer. To communists, he's a drag on the wheel. To constitutionalists, he represents rank revolution. To this list, we might add: to Muslim leaders, he was a communal Hindu. To Hindu extremists, he was a notorious appeaser of Muslims. To the untouchables, he appeared a defender of high caste orthodoxy. to the brahmin he was a reformer and too much of a hari now you know how come how could a man be so many things to so you know so many different things to different people well well i think it's partly to do with the fact that he had his own original views uh, and methods mm-hmm. uh, so if you look at non violence is different from the constitutional methods of petitioning and appeals which previous moderate politicians like gokhale had followed mm-hmm. and it's also quite different from the armed revolutionary yes. struggle that the you know radicals of bengal yes. and punjab had yeah. undertaken if you look at his approach to caste system he started to negotiate his way between shankaracharyas who defend caste prejudice and dalits who want the whole system dismantled immediately mm-hmm. so it's you know so he's placed in a position where he's often seen as too radical by some and too timid by others but actually he is negotiating his own independent path and part of his appeal is that he negotiates these two extremes mm-hmm. in every you must be economics politics uh, culture caste uh, he is negotiating between extremes and forging his own way so he becomes controversial i mean it's like you know as someone says the guy in the middle of the road is hit by the bus from both sides right <laughs> okay so something has a lie happens to him yeah okay. while dalits have this problem with him um isn't his relevance really to the rest of i mean to non dalit yes, sections yes. of hindu society yes, is yes. the fact that he made uh, them ashamed of their own prejudices absolutely so i think you know if you look at how social reform takes place you know if you look at the whole issue of emancipation of women okay it was first raised by in england by 19th century philosophers like uh, will <coughs> you know john stuart mill who felt guilty and said women should get the vote then women took the cause as their own and the suffragette movement took it forward similarly with the caste system you have guilt-ridden upper caste reformers like gandhi mm. and then who are followed and whose uh, uh, whose uh, agendas made more radical and more uh, direct by ambedkar who who comes from an oppressed community himself mm. but you absolutely right today dalits do not need a gandhi to patronize them they have their own icons their own heroes their own ideas their own ways of struggle but upper caste hindus still need gandhi to remind them that caste prejudice and stigmatism continues so mm-hmm. i think in his in his time he was a general path breaker in that he was the first major upper caste hindu reformer to directly attack the caste system and to make it a part of his political campaign to the extent of suspending the civil disobedience movement to attack untouchability so the 1930s he was a genuine radical but today you know we have many other dalit activists and leaders and thinkers and inspired by ambedkar but i think just as men who oppress their wives and who bully their daughters and who and do other kinds of things need to be reminded 
of uh, you know the importance of gender equality similarly upper caste hindus men and women need to be continuously reminded of the awful prejudices the uh, you know that marked and still to many in many respects mark our society today mm. and that's why gandhi is relevant because he shames us his some of his ideas i mean when you read his uh, the primary source like what he's written himself some of his ideas about diet mm. you know they're absurd yes, uh, and his experiments peculiar. Yeah, peculiar. Yeah. Peculiar. but i think it's important that he did not impose his dietary preferences on everyone okay he never expected all his disciples to be vegetarian mm-hmm. all right he did not expect that you know uh, you know christians and muslims would stop eating meat or even beef right so i think he felt that he had to simplify his life he was he was a kind of a, he called himself a quack physician so apart from diet he was expecting all kind of other yes, treatments digestion yeah that's it that's it <laughs> fruit and all kind of all things yeah. like you know massages and poultices and so on so he was experimenting on himself all the time mm-hmm. uh but he did not you know there was a time in his life for example which i described in the prequel to this gandhi before india where he wanted to become a surgeon himself right so he was open to modern medicine he was open to other people's preferences but he certainly had a uh obsession with living a simple pure ascetic life himself looking at where we are today as a nation you know and the relevance of gandhi to us um, and also the way the i mean where hinduism itself is it's at a certain crossroads right now i mean we have to accept so um, you know and and the choice maybe i mean really close of the future is whether it moves towards a more extreme form or a form right. like the one that gandhi propagates right now what do you think about so i'd say uh, that at the level of theory the battle against caste prejudice has been won that no one will be publicly defending it so privately they have certain views right so at that level the debate that gandhi and ambedkar started mm. has won at the level of ideology or the level of practice it has to be continued where gandhi's ideas remain relevant and where i think hindus today or indians today hindus in particular because hindus are a majority of indians but indians today need to take cognizance and reflect the first is the idea that hindu muslim harmony which includes hindu muslim sikh christian jain parsi harmony mm. is absolutely crucial for this country to survive that just because other countries demonize stigmatize oppress their minorities including countries that neighbor us you know we should not be imitating them i think mm-hmm. that uh, if we do that is a recipe for more violence more conflict and national disaster the other is the whole question of non violence you know uh, gandhi would be absolutely opposed to the bajrang dal and also to the naxalites anyone who uses violence you be abhorrent and i think it's important in today particularly in today's polarized political discourse including social media to recognize that gandhi always used non violence in word and his deed and indeed when he resisted the british he did not do it through force of arms but by sacrificing his own he and his colleagues sacrificed you know themselves and went to prison or, or whatever and when he spoke in all his arguments he was courteous civil he never called names he never attributed motives he never said you are on behalf of working on behalf of so and so you know so i think non violence in word and in deed you know i think an ability to be open minded uh to uh, take account of criticisms to respond to them to change your mind if necessary to stick your position if you feel so but to do so in terms that are civil that are human that are not you know aggressive and abusive so i think uh, these are some of the things that stay with uh, uh, aspects of his life 
There are other aspects too. I mean, I talked right in the end of the book about some of his uh, prescient warnings about uh, environmental catastrophe. You know, and yes. We are seeing some of that too. So, but I would say, you know, uh, clearly we can't, no one can follow Gandhi in the extremity of his personal austerities. And no one need, need to either. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to have a drink and so should you or so anyone else. I, and I think Gandhi wouldn't mind. Good Gandhi wouldn't mind. But I think the moral compass that he provides in a complex divided society, respect diversity, respect individuality, eliminate discrimination on the basis of caste and gender and religion, and do so patiently, thoughtfully, non-violently. I think these are things that in a large and complex country like India are absolutely relevant. Hmm. Also, we're coming to, you know, his you touch on it in the book, his relationships with his family and his wife. You know, it's again, you know, the dichotomy of yes, like yes, a, yes. A, a man who wants to do good. Absolutely. But in his yes. personal... Absolutely. So, I think, absolutely. So, he was courteous and civil in his relations with his political opponents and with the people around him. But he was often impatient, hasty, unfeeling in his relations with his wife and his children. And it, this improved, I mean, after several decades of married life, Kasturba, he achieved a kind of companionship. Uh, he was more understanding of the needs of his third and fourth child as compared to the needs of his first and second <laughs> child. So he improved rather slowly, right? But I think that is true, that he does, in, his, in his dealings with his wife and children, he comes across as his, at his least attractive. And all one can say is that it's, this is often very common in many driven people. So, but still... The people closest to him had to pay a price for his uh, relentless quest to perfect himself and perfect the society around him. And, uh, you know, when um, Hindu right-wingers, you know, like support Godse, yeah. even today, you know, and, and uh, what, what, what do you say to that? I mean, I think, one is, is yeah. like, I think it's short-sighted and tragic. You know, it's like uh, the idea that violence will bring uh, a quick fix, you know. Uh, that uh, no, it won't, it won't. I mean, and you have to live with difference. I mean, you in, in, in this world, you have to get along with people with different ideas, with different philosophies. And so long as you can get along with dignity, with compassion, and you can respect their differences, you know. Uh, so, I, I mean, I the idea that if we become a powerful Hindu state, if Hinduism becomes the core of our everyday life, we will dominate the world, is absolutely absurd. Look at what happened to Pakistan. You know, Pakistan was united on the basis of religion, but they divided on the basis of language, you know. It's, and no, but within religion itself, they are discriminating that, among also, also that's it. That's yeah. it. That's it. Happens. So first you go against the There's Hindus. There's no end to. That's first you go against the Hindus. Then you go against the Sikhs. Then you go against the Shias. Then you go against the Ahmadiyas. You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's, no so, there's no end to it. So yeah. we should be cautioned by the example of places like Pakistan and and Bangladesh. You know, uh, and. Uh, Recall, and it's not just Gandhi. I mean, it is also people like Nehru who passionately believed that, and rightly so, in my view, that Muslims and Christians would have the full, the same rights as Hindus did. So, and you must look at yourself in the mirror. I mean, Gandhi would also have been appalled. I've said this uh, several times. Gandhi would have been appalled at the idea that Hindus are destined to be the Vishwa Guru of the world. He would say, first look at yourself and correct. I mean, what are these fantasies you have about your greatness when you live in a country disfigured by poverty, disease, environmental degradation, social violence, abuse of women, right? What are you going to teach the world? First, first teach yourself and improve yourself, right? So Gandhi was convinced self-improvement, which meant the improvement of the individual, the culture, the society, the religion, was crucial to Gandhi's message. I mean, Gandhi said, we are not perfect. We are born flawed because we are human. 
But as long as we are aware of what these flaws are and kind can find ways of you know correcting them and ameliorating them, we can become a more tolerant and more inclusive society. And I think you know young men are impatient; they want quick fixes. I mean that's why young men either join the Bazangal or they join Islamic jihadists or they join Naxalites or they join the Shiv Sena and they think that you know anger and brute force will transform the world into a utopia. I mean that is something that is has cost us so much already that I think patience, tolerance, understanding, respect for diversity. We have to have wise counsel telling young people, and particularly young men, because violence is generally conducted by young men, not, not by young women. <laughs> okay. And most of the violence in India is done by men between 18 and 30, who are looking for angry shortcuts uh, to fulfillment and happiness. I think Gandhi is a caution to all of us. Or to all of us. Hmm. So that's what we have yeah. to learn from. Okay. So that's great. We've had a nice conversation. Go out and get this book. I mean, I'm not saying you should read it at one go. <laughs> but definitely there's much to, um, because you said that you've like um, um, accessed a lot of new papers. Absolutely. Many new archives all around the world which I've looked at. Thank you so much. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.